When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 8th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Every national newspaper is reporting today from Drogheda. The focus is on a protest that took place at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. Just over half a dozen people involved in the protest feature, seven people to be exact, holding placards that read, Let her be born, let him be born, abortion is murder, and warning killing in progress. The national media coverage highlights uh, the intention to ban protests of uh, this type by introducing safe access zones or buffer zones and making it illegal to protest about abortion services within a certain radius of abortion service providers. The Minister for Health said yesterday he found it pretty darn despicable that anyone would take to social media to highlight how an abortion was scheduled for procedure. This follows uh, pro-life post regarding Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital on Sunday on the Pro-Life Ireland Facebook page which read the first abortion in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital is scheduled for first thing tomorrow morning, Monday the 7th. The priests in Drogheda have asked for prayers that the women will have a change of heart overnight and not go through with the procedure. Please spread the word. We'll talk about this now with local politicians Paul Bell of the Labour Party who also has an interest in this as a trade union representative of staff in the hospital and Fianna Fáil councillor Emma Coffey is with us this morning. Good morning to both of you and thank you for coming in to us this morning. Uh, Emma Coffey, what are your thoughts on this first of all? Well I actually think it's it's a disgrace uh, and that's just the the word I can use, a a disgrace on many fronts, a disgrace on the fact that on on social media alleged confidential information but the fact that you know something was a medical procedure has been talked about that it's been planned whether it has or not obviously uh, there's a confidentiality issue there in respect of it um i i think at first when i became aware mm. of it i thought actually it was a hoax because i, no. I, I because i couldn't believe that you're opposed to peaceful protest i'm not opposed to peaceful protest but i'm opposed to the fact that there's people going through a very difficult time. Mm, but look at these seven individuals. I mean, every single newspaper in the country is running the story. They've put the photograph on the newspaper. It's where there was a riot. Seven 
innocent yeah, looking not, people doing no harm to anybody and in, standing in, outside and of the hospital. And in that context, Michael, yes, seven individuals. But last week there was a protest outside a GP mm. medical practice centre uh, that is availing, uh, providing mm. abortion services of a very similar number of people protesting mm. outside. And ultimately, it's about people's rights of availing of services within um, within our country, medical mm. services that they're entitled to do under law. And really, so, so do you think that uh, the priests in St. Mary's are a disgrace? Uh, no, I don't. Because Even I, though they sent out texts and then went on the pulpit well, and I'm, asked people to pray for whoever may be well, Michael, planning a termination I'm, I'm in not, Our Lady I'm of I'm not Rose aware Hospital. of any priests sending out texts. So you think these seven people are a disgrace? I think the fact that people can protest outside medical centres and medical hospitals is a disgrace. So you're saying a lot without saying anything? No, I'm I'm saying it that that's my view. What's a disgrace? No, I don't understand your view. It's a a disgrace that people are protesting. These people? People, these people, not just these people, people in, keep in, in Galway, people yeah. who are no, but these seven intended, people, yeah, I'm asking that people these can, seven people, that people are are entitled or, or can at present. There is no exclusion mm. zones, no protests or buffer zones mm. outside medical um, hospitals mm. and GP centres. That this that is a disgrace. Mm. That these people are in that are availing of these services are in a very difficult and stressful situation and that if they are facing this on the morning or on the day of mm. availing of services, it causes untold stress and untold uh, on top of what they're yeah. actually going through. That is a disgrace. Okay, Paul, the disgrace. Paul Bell, do you agree with that? I think the word disgrace is uh, it's not a word I would use, mm. but I will say this, is that uh, there's a range of problems with this type of protest. Mm. So we have a democracy and we have a fine line of what should be protested about and where it should happen. Well, if you look at what happened at, at Joan, with, with Joan Burton in Fur House mm-hmm. over water charges, yeah. scores, I don't know how many, a couple of thousand people mm-hmm. perhaps involved in that. Uh, she was trapped in her car. Yes. I think she was spat at. I think she was called was the B word. Stuff, yes. uh, there was an awful yeah. lot of stuff went on. Yeah. Uh, it was very intimidating, very frightening. Uh, but a lot of people uh, agreed with it. Yeah. Uh, seven lot, seven lot, people and, standing, and, and, and not, e- not not even chanting by the looks of it, standing with placards. Agreed with two, mm. Michael, for various mm. reasons. Of course, they did. Yeah. Anyway, look, the protest yesterday. Uh, the concern I have is that this is a protest against a possible individual, a citizen, uh, who is taking a very difficult decision. A possible citizen. Mm. That's the issue that I have. The government policy is the government policy. The people of Ireland have spoken on this matter and spoken fairly loudly about it. Uh, The legislation has been passed and women are now Mm. entitled to avail of a medical service uh, without hindrance, uh, with the best support they can get. The protest yesterday, for me, uh, borders the question of, well, who are you protesting against? Is it the individual who's made a very difficult decision? Mm. Uh, Or individuals, because I don't know many procedures will be uh, ongoing. Mm. Or if any. Uh, Or if Mm. any, in fairness Mm. to Emma, Mm. made that point. Uh, And secondly, uh, uh, with regard to the the Catholic Church position, it's quite interesting because I listened to a radio broadcast on Sunday where Archbishop Archbishop Dermot Martin Martin, made it quite clear Mm. that he Mm. believed that such protests would be counterproductive. Because the legislation... Well, the priests in Drogheda didn't protest well, or ask people to protest. Yeah. They asked that people would well, pray for the women who were contemplating terminating yeah. the pregnancy. Well, Undoubtedly, they fueled this. As you understand, yeah. like when one Do you agree they fueled this? The, 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 the priests fueled this protest? No, no I do not believe that. 
what I believe is that the priests are entitled, obviously, to teach the Catholic doctrine. Mm. That's what they're entitled to do. However, I would believe if their message was misinterpreted or misunderstood, they should now make a formal clarification mm. about this type of protest. Okay, well, we have tried to make contact well, with the parish I'm, priests. I'm calling on, mm. the, on, the, on the church mm. to make sure that's clearly uh, Well, this clarified. is clearly from St. Mary's, and we've because called the parish priest and asked him to make comment. Because the Archbishop Dermot Martin basically made it quite clear that mm. this was not uh, a role... Well, that's his church. view. It's a very you, You'll find different views in the church. It's a very important view because at the end of the day... Mm. If that protest was against the government mm. or it was against a political policy, you could say, okay, fair enough. Mm. But it's ended up being targeting a possible. It's been individual. caused by the government uh, and uh, with the support of both Labour and Fianna Fáil uh, because this intro- uh, legislation was introduced mm. without buffer zones. Uh, can, I just t- uh, uh, can I just touch on the buffer zone mm. thing? Uh, first of all, uh, if there has to be a consideration uh, about that type of legislation, that's something that the, the political groupings and and but of course there has to be. Are you surprised that there were protests? Uh, no, Michael. Just I mean, I mean mm. you have to be very careful about this, not to make it any worse than it is. When you start talking about restricting protest and all that, first of all, mm. it has to be understood what everybody's constitutional rights are. Mm. The issue I have mainly with that protest yesterday, mm. it seemed to be targeted yeah. against a possible but that's individual. But that's, right? that's why you would want buffer zones. There's also people going into the hospital with yeah. other conditions uh, and no conditions Absolutely. and bringing children well, in as you, visitors and so on, and that's why there would be concerns. Just, but it's no surprise, might, isn't if it? I could, if I could make the point, mm. please, because this is very important. You know, we have a right as citizens to protest. Mm. The question is... Uh, you know how safe that is if 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 it's going to be causing a potential problem in a public order of offence mm. or if it's going to cause uh, uh, maybe some difficulty for people who are trying to go about their daily business. I mean, the business I'm in as, a, mm. as an official of the union, I always when I get involved in these type of things, I'm cautioned continually by the authorities mm. about the parameters of what we're going to be doing. However, with this type of thing, people have an emotional connection to it. Uh, buffer zones and all the rest uh, may not clear the problem up but I do believe that the Catholic Church does have a role to talk to to people about the impact that such protests would have on individuals or indeed mm. individuals providing Well I, I, I don't know I mean I don't know the people involved you, you may know them do you? No, I do not know. Okay, uh, do you know them, Emma? No, I'm just just. Uh, but uh, and I, I don't know the people involved. Uh, but just to look at the photograph, uh, I doubt they're law-breaking uh, citizens, uh, and that if there were buffer zones and it was uh, well, illegal see, to see, stage well, a protest. First of all, there's nobody saying that anybody broke the law. No, but that's what there's, I'm saying. No, it, no but saying if that. there was a buffer zone, it would be illegal, and they would be breaking the law. So uh, that's the point I was making. And I'm, I'm making the point: is that is that the answer? That's the point. I'm well, making. it's the only answer because you're not going to tell people how to think, uh, and that is the. Uh, complaint, I think, that stands up in relation to the legislation and how it was introduced. Yes. This was inevitable. Yes, it was, and it was discussed at length in the at Dull in the Dull debates, mm. and it was also discussed at length in the committee debates, and it mm. was urged by a cross party purposes and I think actually both our parties I know uh, Lisa Chambers actually raised it about buffer zones that it should be it should have been in tandem. Um, with the with the abortion legislation, I think the government at the time was was so concentrating on ensuring that that there would be a, a, the abortion services available. Uh, no. no, I'm making I, uh, I'm no, only making this that, comment. That, I'm yeah, not I'm yeah, not support. Yeah. I'm making the point, mm. Michael. I mm. I'm fully supportive. So of where was Lisa Chambers' bill? 
there was at the point is yeah. there wasn't a bill. I'm saying to you, that's it was the discussed point. At yeah, length. you just made but a political either, but either, point. No, but either, yeah. either was where was the Sinn Féin yeah. bill? Where yeah. was you know? It, I make I'm making the point. It was discussed at length. If if a woman went into Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital yesterday to have her pregnancy terminated, uh, and faced those people on her way through the hospital gates. Uh, well, then that's a, a failing on the part of the government, on the part of Fianna Fáil, on the part of Sinn Féin, on the part of the Labour Party, on behalf of the political system, because it's rushed legislation, which has proved to be bad legislation. I, I would disagree that it's bad legislation, because if we don't didn't have the legislation, Michael, we wouldn't be sitting here discussing it, and we wouldn't be sitting here yeah. with the will of the people enacted in legislation. So it's not bad legislation. Uh, is it? Uh, the legislation is there, the services are there. But what hasn't been attached is an ancillary legislation for buffer phones, zones, which is what we are talking about now. Hmm. And and I, I actually, you know, I, I see uh, Paul's point in relation to whether they will work or not. The point is, is that they are a deterrent. Uh, and as you said, it is not just people who are availing of these services. Mm. It is people who are visiting maybe family members in the hospital. Mm. It is people who are seeking alter- other treatments that are going to have to pass with family members mm. and find this upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 it is I, it is disgraceful that a protest is about individuals, individuals availing of certain treatments. And and that that I find is morally. And socially unacceptable. It is not legally mm. unacceptable right. at the moment. Uh, and you're entitled to your opinion. <coughs> you are. But so what? You're, but the, the, I mean, the, these people think uh, that babies are being murdered. The priests mm. think that babies are being murdered. Uh, you're saying to the priests, mm. tell people not to protest. Why should they do that? Well, I, I, if that's what they believe. Uh, I'm telling, uh, what I'm saying to, to, to the church authorities is that there's two sides to this story. We recognise that people have a right to their opinion and they'll say, mm. which I do mm. as a Democrat. There has to be clear understanding that the people of Ireland have spoken on this issue of this medical care being provided in this country. So what? Well, it's very important. Is Why? It not? Is it not very important? Well, it is to me, but perhaps well, it, it's not to the priests. Oh, I think it is very important to them. I think it is very important. I don't expect that the priests hold my opinion and I'm not going to tell them what to think. Well, I, well I, the point I'm making, Michael, very clearly is I believe there's a duty on the Catholic Church to remind parishioners or everybody else involved in this mm. that people have made a choice, a difficult choice, on the other end to terminate a pregnancy. Mm. And that the protest that's going on there is making that okay, situation well, even more stressful for those people. I, I, I was speaking to Ronan Mullen recently about this because it yeah. was inevitable that this would happen. And yeah. I was asking him before the legislation yeah. was introduced uh, as to whether he would support these type of protests. He said he probably wouldn't take part in them himself. Mm-hmm. But he, he said he didn't see anything particularly wrong with people standing peacefully outside an institution, whether it's a, a well, family planning clinic or a GP's office or yeah. the hospital in this case with well, placards, so long as they didn't interfere in the... To be very clear, those messages uh, can be in, uh, uh, interpreted uh, in a way that's quite disturbing to either people who are accessing those services mm. or people who have views going to that hospital. They're very emotive messaging. You can see them yourself. They're, they're in all the national newspapers mm, today. Well, I've read them out, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, like, you know, people just don't have to talk about peaceful protests on the basis of whether somebody's shouting something. Those messages are very, very directed. Mm. Uh, I, I would imagine that people who go through the struggle of deciding that they wish to terminate a pregnancy would have thought about all these matters uh, and 
they don't need that when they're going to the medical centre. And the other point I wanted to make too, uh, people who would have had difficulties in the past, say, with, with medical treatment mm. or termination of pre- pregnancy, would have spoken to me as a public representative and said, you know, even if the legislation would come into this country, I still may be very much tempted to go and seek medical care outside the jurisdiction hmm. because of, of concerns that I would be okay. stigmatised or there would be breaches of my confidentiality. I, I mentioned the water charges protests uh, with Paul Bell uh, and people might say, well, he would say that, wouldn't he, because he's the Labour Party. But uh, Emma Coffey, uh, as somebody from a different party, a Fianna Fáil representative, uh, I mean, for people listening to us uh, this morning who are saying, well, look, you, you can protest about something like water, throw water bombs at the Deputy Prime Minister of the country, uh, call her names and act in a way that a lot of people would find unacceptable, but you can't stand peacefully outside of a hospital and complain that you're concerned that a human life is being taken. See, when you put peaceful protests on a blanket, say, a blanket, complete topics, there's no issue with that. I have no issue with these people protesting. I have no issue with these people protesting. What I have an issue is 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 the location of the protest. And if you recall, water protests weren't just outside Leinster House. Hmm. They were they were up and down the country, uh, and they weren't just at local authority offices, which at the time were were administrating water services in, in respect of it, or outside the Irish Water Services hmm. building. This is the locus, locus, the lo- location of the actual protests that I have an issue with. I, I look each town dur- during and leading up to the referendum, there was signs of similar nature protesting in every town, and that's they're entitled to that. Mm. And I'm not, t- I am not saying that these people are not entitled to have a peaceful protest. I am saying that the location of it is questionable. And it, it, it puts an, an unnecessary stress, pressure and upset on people attending that particular uh, medical centre or medical hospital, be it or be it not, for abortion services. OK. Just before we conclude, and very quickly, if I could ask you to put on uh, your trade union hat uh, as such and uh, as uh, the SIP2 representative uh, for hospital staff, uh, what, what, what are the feelings of the staff about these type of protests? Because it's not just those who are terminating their pregnancies or other people who are uh, attending the hospital. Staff obviously work there and have to go through this. Yeah, well, the, the, the feelings of staff is that they believe that it's extremely unfortunate uh, and also believe that as caring for the patient, that there's that the people who are involved in the protest are missing the point of how difficult it is to provide the service and also to care for the person who is accessing the service. That's what the concern is. And remember, Michael, mm. over the Christmas period, we would have been involved in negotiations about conscientious objection uh, for nursing staff, for doctors, uh, and other other staff who are involved uh, in providing services like this. So um, it's been a very difficult period. However. What our members are hoping for is that, look, it'll be understood that people are making a personal choice, a difficult choice, and that people who are involved and have highly highly emotional and highly, you know, opinionated positions on this uh, matter will see the other side of this. Uh, and our, our members basically are providing that type of medical care 
would much rather provide that service to people in the locality rather than having them to travel outside the jurisdiction. All right, we'll leave it there and thank you both for coming in to us uh, this morning. Paul Bell, Labour Party councillor and also uh, SIB to Trade Union representative uh, for staff in uh, the hospital and Emma Coffey, a Fianna Fáil councillor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we'll be talking about carbon emissions and why uh, the government must act or be seen to act in a a few minutes' time. But before we talk about the reason for all of that, the government wants to be seen to act by announcing uh, that it is to stop using single-use plastic cups, cutlery and straws uh, for government offices. However, this has been described as as tokenistic in the extreme by the SIP2 trade union and Adrian Kane, SIP2 public administration and community division organiser joins us now and a very good morning to you Adrian and thanks for joining us and uh, this has got to do with bin collections and waste management in general. You say that the government has failed people uh, and this is uh, an effort in that sense uh, to convince people that they are trying to act. Yeah, I think the point that we would make, uh, Michael, and thanks very much uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak on your program this morning. Um, I think the point that we would make uh, as a union is that there, there are serious issues around uh, domestic waste collection that need to be addressed. And where, uh, and I'm interested to hear the, your, your next item in relation to carbon emissions, there's a whole range of issues that we need to be tackling with regard to the environment, which, which this government is simply failing uh, to act on or to ignore. And I would make particular point to um, a report by the Consumer and Competition Protection Commission from last year, from September of last year, which was an investigation into the domestic uh, waste collection market. And what it found is that almost one in four households in this country now have no household um, domestic collection service. That's almost a quarter of the population have no um um, Contract with a bin company, in other words. With, with, with a bin company. Yeah. That, that, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what it is. The second thing that it found is that we are now the only country in the EU that has what's called this side-by-side competition within a local authority area, where you have multiple providers blocking up the streets uh, of towns and, and cities all over the country of two or three providers on, on, the, mm. on, on the one street. There is no other country that has that. Okay, And what we're finding in the more contact that we have with trade unions around the, the, the European Union is that more and more countries are bringing waste back into direct provision by the local authority. And the reason why they're doing that is that ultimately it's cheaper for the state and it's cheaper for the consumer and it's better for the environment. So rather than the state spending enormous sums of money, we spent somewhere in the region of 7 million euro last year, in cleaning up illegal dumping, and, and that's just a fraction of the illegal dumping. Uh, right, uh, and undoubtedly uh, some of the people who don't have a contract uh, with a bin company, who don't have any formalised way of having uh, their waste dealt with, uh, are feeding into that. That really is an incredible statistic, isn't it? 23%, almost one in four people. Yeah, well, what I find is extraordinary is that it seems to be ignored across the entire political spectrum. Um, the, 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 the rates vary from county to county. I think the worst uh, offender is actually Cavan, uh, where it's plus 50% of people have no um, collection service at all. Um, the, the other point that, that you've made is that whereas the, um, the, the, the report by the, the CCPC uh, was slow to link 
the lack of um, um, a, a service um, to domestic households to increased um, uh, pollution. But of course there has to be a correlation in relation to that. What happened when, when um, local authorities started getting out of this is that the, the waivers started to be pulled as well. So typically there, there was a waiver for for um, people who couldn't afford um, um, the, 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 the service. But that, that has, over time, that has eroded as well. Mm. So but what we're calling for as a union um, is a number of things. First of all, this side-by-side competition has to end. Why? What's wrong with that? I mean, you're talking about two companies, Panda and Oxygen, just as a, an example, perhaps uh, taking bins from different houses on the same street. Uh, what's wrong with that? Is that not good for competition? And does competition not bring down prices? Well, the... the, the, the the, the, the report and the, the reason as to why this report was commissioned was exactly into this area and saying, is there competition in this market? And what it found is that this is a natural monopoly, okay? And what that means is that there is no effective competition by creating this sort of facade of, of competition. Where the competition should be created is by people um, and either tendering for the project and we believe that there should be an alternative state provider in that as well, of whether that's a number of local authorities combining to op- uh, offer um, a, a service in, in that regard. But the real competition needs to be in relation to the service that is provided for the for the entire area. The, the other is, is is a misnomer, and it, it doesn't, as, as the report finds itself, it doesn't really create any sort of competition between the parties. But the other point I would make mm. as well, and following on from what your next item is in relation to carbon emissions. And Minister Bruton had talked about that every infrastructural project would have to be carbon-proof going forward. You can't have a situation whereby we're creating additional carbon emissions by virtue of multiple trucks doing what, where there doesn't need to be that many on the road. It would be the same kind of argument that you would use when the ESB started and said, well, why can't you have multiple um, electricity lines. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm. And you're also making the point that we spend a lot of money. Uh, there's people who put out their bins, pay for their bins to be collected, and then pay for other people's bins to be collected, albeit from down an alleyway or elsewhere. Well, what, what, what I would say is that this is failing on the, the, the three aspects that we believe it's failing on. It's failing on the environment, in terms of the, the amount of illegal dumping. It's 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 failing with regard to the cost for the state and the and the consumer, but it's also failing in relation to worker welfare. These are some of the lowest rates of pay in the country are being paid by people who are now in this privatised industry. And the state subsidises that through FIS and through a whole myriad of other social schemes. So that doesn't make any sense either. It's time for, it's time for a, a total review of, of the industry. I was, I was looking where uh, one of the biggest private um, providers um, that the company owns, Panda and Greenstar. And again, people might think, oh, that's competition. It's the same company. They, they made uh, a profit of $18.4 million last year. If we're serious about uh, the environment and, and handing on um, an environment and a, a sustainable environment to the next generation, mm. 
we need to, to, to look at this and I think the best way to do it is for the state to take a much more hands-on approach to what it's been doing of late. Uh, and to collect the bins uh, and to make it more affordable and if people can't afford to have their bins collected to, to introduce a waiver system. a waiver system. system. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a zero sum at the end of the day rather than spend the money on collecting up the illegal dumping afterwards. All right, we'll leave there for the moment, Adrian. Thank you for joining Thanks us as much, always. Man. Adrian Kane, SIP2 Public Administration and Community Division Organiser. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's save uh, the world. Just don't ask me to pay for it. Uh, that's uh, how you may conclude uh, the outcome of a, a survey that was published and featured on the front page of uh, the Irish Daily Mail, which reported yesterday that 60% of voters oppose plans to increase carbon taxes. Uh, the Taoiseach has been talking uh, about an increase in carbon taxes in the next budget and has come under a lot of criticism for not doing so last time round. We're joined by Mark Deary, who's a Green Party councillor, and I take it very much in support of an increase in carbon taxes, as indeed 72% of Green Party supporters are. But this is uh, very much against uh, the feelings uh, that a a lot of people have. Uh, Do you find that understandable, that people would be happier in yellow vests than paying extra for the fuel or uh, these taxes uh, that are being introduced? Yes, Michael. Um, it's worth noting that 32% of respondents said they would be prepared to pay um, uh, a higher level of uh, carbon tax, which I thought was um, significant in itself. It shows there is a, a strong understanding among, uh, you know, a minority, but a significant minority of the population of the, the challenge that, that, that we're facing. But 77% um, of the 45 to 54 age cohort are against Yes, the younger you get, the, the, the more understanding there is because the more invested in the future those people will be. Actually, is, the, the younger is, and the older, the over 65s are, are, are more in favour than younger people. Yes, indeed, probably reflecting uh, the fact that they are and have, over the austerity years, done better than, than any other age cohort. Um, look at um, t- taxes. Taxes are never going to be, receive a favourable uh, response. The Taoiseach has been careful, uh, in fairness to him, to speak about this every time he has done, and he's, he's answered this question several times and not, and not dodged it lately, cause, so it's obviously something that's on his mind and something that government intends to pursue, is, is a tax and dividend mechanism of some sort. So in other words, you, you, you introduce a tax to change people's choices uh, and to change systems um, uh, uh, that, that, are, that are providing services to people, and you then uh, return the tax paid uh, by way of a dividend, be that through um, through a, a household check or child welfare, I know they're looking at that idea too. I think what's most important is that is that the system we we, we have people are can clearly see a link between the carbon tax they paid and the return they're getting on it in in the form of a dividend. I think that would be, would be more acceptable than what the the Irish Daily Mail put to people, which was a you know a traditional ta- uh, revenue gathering tax. Taoiseach has been clear, and I've got to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Fine Gael man here, mm. but, but in fairness to him, he has been clear that, 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 that um, any, any uh, tax that's introduced needn't be, shouldn't be revenue generating, 
but should be behaviour changing. And he first um, said that in response to Eamon Ryan. We spoke to your party leader, uh, who was very enthusiastic uh, about the response he received yes. in the Dáil, and that there's a cross-party consensus that there would be a dividend. Is it fair, though, that there would be an increase in child benefit, let's say? As no, a- I, I agree with you. That I, I actually would question that as a mechanism to return the, to return the revenue, because obviously... It, it only applies to, to, to families uh, mm. with, with, with children who are in receipt. So, um, no, I, I don't think that's a universal enough mechanism. I don't think it's tailored enough either. And I don't think it's clear enough that the, the dividend received is in return for, for um, carbon tax that you've paid. Um, I, I think what's more important is that this drives change in how everything is, is, is delivered to us. I was fascinated by the analysis of your previous speaker, the SIP2 representative, mm. Adrian, um, Kane, yes. Yeah, Kane, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- just how complex change is because we are so embedded in, in, in a set of mechanisms that are, are entirely dependent on uh, intensive, cheap energy use. And extracting ourselves from that is going to be very, very difficult. So design is all important here. Um, um, and, and we need to find ways, and, and rapidly, I made this point to you before Christmas in an interview, rapidly find ways of, of uh, decarbonizing uh, the way we do virtually everything. So insofar as um, a, tax, uh, a, t- a tax on certain carbon-intensive activities, then um, they would include, obviously, things like the burning of diesel, petrol, mm. airline travel, etc. Um, the, the, so- the, the sooner they are introduced, uh, but also by way of a dividend returns to people, the quicker, I think, suppliers will find ways of switching what they do. So we'll have a rapid increase in the electrification of vehicles, a rapid increase in the generation of, of renewable energy, particularly through solar and offshore wind, mm. um, a rapid change in how we, we, we manufacture and make things that, that are single-use at present. And people will say, what, what, what's the point? What about uh, America, China and India? And perhaps uh, there is yeah. some merit in that argument, uh, but apparently we generate 13.7 tonnes of carbon a year in this country. The average across Europe is 8.7 tonnes. Outliers, we absolutely are. Um, we're, we're a small country, but, but our per capita impact is extremely high. And, and historically, too, our, 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 it, it, this has been the case. We are we are beneficiaries of the carbon era over the last what fifty years, I suppose, since 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 our own um, mini industrial revolution. Um, back in the 60s. Um, so, and that, so that, that's is, just one argument, though, but if that argument doesn't wash, uh, perhaps uh, the argument that's uh, made in the editorial of today's Irish Times might uh, mean something to people because they're saying that we're facing a bill of up to €3 billion Euro in compliance costs if we don't meet targets by 2030. Which we're unlikely to do, although you know there is there's, there's unquestionably uh, an increase in urgency in government response Look, we've left us far too late. Um, harking back to 2007, when the first um, uh, carbon budget was introduced, uh, which was given immediately after the the, 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 the traditional financial budget. Uh, you may recall, uh, for three budgets, John Gormley did a carbon budget where he, where, where he he did a sectoral analysis um, on on the emissions of greenhouse gases from each sector and how that related to the growth and competitiveness of each sector. Uh, we, we need to reintroduce that kind of analysis as part of our econom- overall economic analysis, and the cost of those fines has to be factored in there. They are, they are a massive driver of change at this stage, but that change is so much more painful now because we didn't continue with that process that was started back in, in, in 2007. Um, and whatever else about the, that, that government crashing into the austerity years, uh, there were some positive moves made at a policy level at that stage 
that were discontinued uh, and only now are being picked up again uh, at a stage where we're far closer to the cliff edge. Despite being at that cliff edge, I suppose you could say uh, that there was some logic to the government uh, not introducing a a carbon tax in uh, the last budget because of the public opinion uh, that is evident in this poll uh, and that there's a a lot of work to do because it's one thing you and me talking about, well, look, you'll get it back in a check in the post or maybe they'll do it a little bit unfairly through child benefit or whatever way they do, tax credits or whatever. Uh, But when people have to go out and pay more for a bag of coal or more of the pumps, uh, they'll say, look, this, this is madness. Uh, absolutely, it's 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 very easy to talk about an incredibly difficult implement, and it's obvious even even in in moderate places like Ontario and in Canada, where where the, you know where the the dividend is not being seen clearly enough by people. There is a, a turning against uh, the carbon levies that are that are uh, that that were accepted initially there. So this is going to be very very tough, and mm. you know under underpinning all of it has to be an understanding that change needs to come and needs to come rapidly and people need to be invested in that. And there's also uh, every, the cynical... Every, everybody, everybody does. Uh, you, you, at the start of the interview, you said mm. it's easier just to put on a yellow vest. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but we can't allow ourselves in this country to get to that stage. Or the, or, or the debate is over and the battle is lost um, and you know, change will be will be so much more difficult. Uh, and there's also the cynical expectation uh, that people might have when a tax is introduced uh, that it'll be introduced in one way, but over a period of time will be hived off, uh, and uh, that you won't be getting that dividend. History teaches us that that's what happens to taxes. There's no mm. question about it. Um, and the, um, the the rejection of any tax we saw we saw it with the water charges. Which were introduced uh, as a, at, at a time when people could take no more, and that, that you know I think that played a big part in the in the rejection of that tax. But there are there are there are policy pressures right now around housing uh, and, and rent costs and so on that make it very very difficult for a very large section of the population to actually afford anything um, in the short term, even if they are getting it back as a dividend in a, in, a, in a month's time. Um, and I think policy across uh, a whole range of areas needs to be working really really well. So that there aren't these areas of enormous discontent that tr- that, that, that trigger protest, uh, um, but it isn't just about the tax; it's about something else. And, and, and I think the, the case of um, the, 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 the housing uh, policy failure that we're experiencing in this country would be a good example of that. That needs to be got right well as well if we are to have a successful introduction. Of a, of a tax and dividend mechanism. All right, we leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you, as always, for joining us here this morning. Mark Deary, Green Party Councillor in Louth. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. How much time do we have, Michael? Sorry. Oh, really? I'm it's very loud busy, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, between our coverage yesterday of the hospital name change and then the controversy surrounding the abortion protests uh, we've been inundated with comments which is fantastic lots of people getting in touch I'll start first with the reaction to the abortion protests Mm. and our coverage this morning we had an email in from Helen who says I would like to speak to you regarding your coverage this morning of the abortion protests I notice you have no pro-life speaker on for a start the two on are pro-abortion it's a one-sided debate as usual on LMFM. Of course, it's rushed legislation. It was flawed and one-sided in the media and in the Assembly from the start. It's a disgrace that 
women are going to kill their own baby in our beloved Lady of Lords Hospital. Miss Coffey or Mr Bell never once mentioned the word baby. Mr Bell, as a trade unionist, is supposed to believe in a peaceful protest and is supposed to represent every citizen of this town, including the unborn citizens. Miss Coffey is talking rubbish. She goes on about the location and buffer zones. Sounds like the Nazis. I will be attending it at some time and will be delighted to see someone standing up for the baby. The baby is also a patient, albeit a dead one, at the end of it all at the hands of a grown adult. Okay, well, I'm not sure if it's a one-sided debate. The debate, I I think, is over in terms of abortion services and it is now legally permissible to terminate a pregnancy if uh, that needs to be done in a hospital setting. That is also possible and that uh, is at uh, the maternity hospitals across uh, the country. 19 of the hospitals will, in time, provide these services. Our Lady of Lourdes in Drogheda is one of uh, the hospitals and it's thought that the uh, hospital is offering that service at the moment, uh, but uh, just uh, in, in relation uh, to the line of, of speakers, they were here as local representatives, uh, wasn't particularly aware of their views uh, beforehand, uh, but uh, we had actually asked uh, the pro-life campaign to make a speaker available uh, yesterday, uh, and we have made contact as well with St. Mary's Parish, uh, because uh, I, I think uh, the parish priest uh, will need to make a statement in time about what happened on Sunday in St. Mary's and as to whether this did fuel these protests. Dermot wants to know if you, Michael, if you're pushing your own agenda when you're preaching on the radio like this. Are you and you're anti, anti-Catholic at every opportunity and it's becoming tiresome. It doesn't matter what Michael believes or what the law says, the taking of a life is murder and there's no getting away from that. OK, I thought I made those points on behalf of people who think that way during the interview uh, and uh, I, I hope that I did uh, regardless of how people heard them. A texter says these people protesting probably voted for Emma Coffey. That speaks volumes of what she thinks of her constituents. Michael, you're a presenter and are supposed to be impartial and should not have an opinion. You are allowing your emotions to muddy your judgment and should stand to one side regarding issues with Drogheda Hospital. Regarding buffer zones, with any type of protest, it is a very dangerous road to go down as it could result in the government controlling the right to citizens' right to protest, says Thomas from Delic. Hmm. It doesn't matter if there was one or seven protesters, says Anne, they shouldn't be there trying to intimidate women who may be seeking an abortion because their life is in danger or maybe there's something wrong with their baby. It's the woman's own business. These people, says Anne, are a disgrace. The state is going to try and stop protesting because it's against something that they brought in. They cannot do this, says Mark. Kevin from County Mead listening to the conversation going on there. The only thing I'm sorry for this morning is I wasn't a member of that group that was protesting. I didn't know it was on or I would have been there. I went to Manchester to protest outside an abortion clinic there. If I had, I had known this was on, I would have been there. You should be able to protest once it's peacefully. To think uh, what you're saying, that women are going in all worried and upset. To me, that's a load of nonsense. There are many women who just go, just it's just like going to the doctor and getting a tablet. Okay, well, that's what a, a lot of women will do, it seems, uh, and uh, that uh, is up to uh, 12 weeks. Uh, some of uh, the terminations will take place then in... 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The hospitals uh, and in time, we're told, it will become illegal to protest in any way within a certain radius. A texter wonders who told the priest that the abortion was going to happen. Yeah, and uh, the, there, there, there is uh, talk along that line and if confidentiality has been breached and so on, I think that's going to be investigated. But I imagine it, it was a case of putting two and two together and whether they came up with four or 44, I don't know. Uh, but I think we were saying something similar that uh, abortions would take place this week in Our Lady of Lourdes or at least that it would be possible for them to take place this week in Our Lady of Lourdes. And I don't think that should have come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, and I imagine that the priests on foot of knowing that uh, made their call from the pulpit and those text messages that went around and so on uh, and I, I, I don't know that uh, they had specific information uh, or that uh, patient confidentiality was breached I, I doubt that to be the case. Well I have uh, rang the parish mm-hmm. centre um, Michael yeah. and mm-hmm. I did speak to somebody there mm-hmm. who are going to pass on the message to the parish priest yeah. so hopefully he may get back to us even with some form of statement. Yeah well I, I, I think uh, regardless of people's views on this matter they'd like to hear from the PP. Brenda says that the protesters should be ashamed of themselves trying to bully a woman who has probably gone through hell making her decision in the first place and is going through probably the worst experience of her life. Uh, They have absolutely no idea what her reason is for doing this. Uh, Catherine via Facebook says disgusting behaviour. The protesters don't respect the electorate who who voted to remove the 8th. John tweeted us to say that these people are heroes. I'm grateful to them for their wish to protect the vulnerable. Another listener says huge amounts of aggression and bullying towards anyone expressing concerns about abortion, including health professionals, i.e. a lot of pressure and sanctions if they refuse to be complicit in killing. Yet there's no other procedure 
where uh, people could just demand excess. All right. Well, we were accused of being one-sided, uh, which uh, reject, uh, but uh, obviously that's for people to make up their own mind. But uh, let's uh, hear from the other side of it. I can put it that way, because Elise Sheehy went down to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital yesterday and spoke to some of the protesters. My name is Charles Bourne. I'm just a, 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 an ordinary citizen in the town, and I'm concerned about what's happening here in the Lourdes Hospital today. I'm concerned that for the first time in Irish history, a hospital has become a place where you can end an innocent human life. I think that's a profound change. It's, it's a very worrying change, and it opens a Pandora's box. Um, you know, what did that child do wrong? Why does it deserve this? Does it, we all were at that stage in the womb. We got protection. Every one of us is alive because we received protection from each, from our mothers, from our fathers, from our family, from society. These children, this child today, deserves the same protection. This protest literally came together from people maybe on WhatsApp or whatever. It wasn't organised. Um, and I know there's a lot more people who are concerned. Um, they weren't sure what to do. What can you do? But I think really what this is, uh, this is to stand up for that child and say that they deserve, they deserve to live. They don't deserve to die. That child deserves somebody to stand up and say, you deserve life. And what does your placard today say? Well, this one is a very, some of the other ones are, are you know, uh, varied. This one is very blunt. It says abortion is murder. And murder is the taking of an innocent life, uh, premeditated taking of a life. Now, because it's so-called and quote-unquote legal in this country, uh, people will say it's not murder. But, uh, you know, law, uh, an unjust law is no law. Um, this is a, really um, a parody of law. Because the, the government has it written down, that doesn't make it right. Uh, laws are there to protect, primarily law is there to protect the weak from the strong. And who is more weak than a child in the womb. There cannot be anyone more weak. And so when we think, oh, it's a law, um, it may, might be written down as a law, but we believe it's, it's not a true law. So long as this hospital is um, participating in this evil, we will be, be, have a presence here. It might not be every day because people are busy, and, uh, but definitely we'll do our best to, to, to highlight this issue. All right, that's uh, Charles Byrne telling LMFM's Ailey Sheehy why he was protesting outside Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital yesterday and it has, as we've been hearing, generated a lot of comment on our phones this morning. It really has. Uh, Andrea got in touch via Twitter to say exclusion zones are needed immediately to keep these anti-choice zealots away. It doesn't matter if their protests are loud or silent. They are there for one reason only, to intimidate vulnerable pregnant people with crisis pregnancies and caregivers. Joanne says that she doesn't agree with what the protesters are protesting about, but does defend their right to protest once it is peaceful. We live in a democracy and people are entitled to protest whether you like what they are saying or not. Mm. Siobhan via Twitter, I wonder how much these protesters care about children that are homeless or is it just the unborn? Shane says, leave the, those using the hospital alone. You could overstress them, leading to even more complications, especially if they are pregnant. Has anybody ever thought of that? 
we got an email in to say, listening to your programme this morning, this was from yesterday, Michael, yeah. and your interview with Miss Collins. It's clear that you don't, that was Jeopardy Joan Collins mm. we had on. Mm. It's clear you don't seem to understand that Catholics can never accept abortion, that a dishonestly obta- obtained, corrupted yes vote doesn't change the commandments of Almighty God, thou shalt not kill. The Irish media fought vigorously to get condoms, divorce, gay marriage, abortion and all this has made them more bitter against the Catholic Church. All right, well, that's right. Who, who was that from? This was from PJ in Kells. All right, well, absolutely right, PJ. Uh, I, I, I suppose uh, I don't accept that Catholics can't always uh, accept uh, abortion or contraception or some of these other issues. A very interesting group uh, based in Washington called Catholics for Choice uh, who've lobbied for abortion services uh, to be made available to Catholics and others across the world. So, Michael, I'll finish on that one and maybe if I get a chance, I've loads more to All right, okay. later on. We'll try and find some more time for that. Indeed, if people want to add to what's being said, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number 1850-715-958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, we've been hearing a, a lot of concern uh, about Brexit and what will happen if it's a no-deal Brexit and how will you get from A to B and indeed get goods from A to B and the trucks that carry those goods going from A to B will face many obstacles. What about congestion at Dover? Uh, for example, well, contingency plans have been put in place and there was a live rehearsal of an emergency traffic situation in the UK yesterday. And you may see lines of uh, trucks pictured in the newspapers in Kent as part of uh, this uh, traffic plan for the port. Uh, they were first of all brought to Manson Airport before going on to Dover and all appeared well. Now I've been speaking with Ronan Murphy who's uh, the president of the Irish Road Hauliers Association about this operation called Operation Brock and what it was that they were attempting to do. Well what it's reported to be attempted to do was replace Operation Stack which would be the 29 mile tailback that you'd have seen on the M20 in the summertime at peak season during the migrant crisis. 29 miles of traffic would contain possibly about 200 trucks per mile and I have to say Operation Brock doesn't go near anywhere near Mm. alleviating that situation. It was farcical. Right. Well, they had hoped that 150 trucks would turn up for this and they paid uh, the drivers relatively handsomely around €550 each uh, or pounds each uh, for that matter. Uh, But uh, just 89 trucks turned up. 89. I mean, look, it was tweeted that it was reported to be 100 trucks on Saturday. They couldn't manage that. The reality of the UK's international haulage fleet is that it's about 3% of their overall fleet. So out of the 10,000 trucks that pass through Dover and Folkestone each day, importing and exporting, only 3% of that traffic will be UK trucks. Uh, So yesterday what you had was all UK trucks, all understanding of the language, probably drivers Mm. all understanding of it. And it it moved relatively smoothly, but it would be in no way uh, a display of what's to come. And it will be absolute chaos if there's a hard Brexit. And they were driven to an airfield uh, before being sent on to Dover. 
That's right, a disused airfield, which is actually going to bring us about 40 to 50 minutes out of our way in good conditions and as much as an hour if weather is inclement. And for drivers, that can mean on our tachograph regulation that on an outward bound journey, if you're only transiting, you might actually end up having to overnight in the UK or at least take your nine hour break. That can be very frustrating. Mm. Uh, We don't have enough information about what Operation Brock actually was. We don't know if it's to be something that will happen if you're going to clear customs, if you're just transiting. No information that way. So whilst we don't expect the UK to consult with us, I mean, obviously it's their operation. Mm. Uh, it would be nice if there was some consultation maybe just with the Department of Transport. All right. Uh, and uh, these delays, depending on where you're going, uh, because you may be en route to Dover, but you might also be going to the Eurotunnel. Absolutely. And each time, each way, it's going to cause an extra 40 to 50 minutes. If you're coming from Hollyhead, you won't be coming uh, the same direction, but you'll still have an imposition. I suppose the reality from an Irish driver, an Irish truck's perspective is if you're coming from Rosslare, you do have an extra hour to play around with. If you come into Fishguard or Pembroke, it's an mm. hour less in distance. If you're coming from Hollyhead, less so because there's huge motor works going on at the moment. There's always delays and it takes that little bit longer. So you could actually have your driving hours completed by the time you get to this park. Alright, and uh, I was reading one of uh, the quotes uh, from one of uh, the drivers who was talking about uh, the prospect of having to drive an extra 40 miles because of uh, this diversion two or three times a week at eight miles to the gallon. It all adds up, obviously. Uh, and then when you take into account what you're ferrying, uh, whether that's frozen or chilled goods like cheese or yogurt, uh, it, it uh, could have a serious impact, not just on how you as hauliers do your business, but on all of us and how we're living our lives. Absolutely. And I think that's crucial that people understand that. And what's more crucial is that at this stage, no country is going to be prepared or have customs prepared in a way that this traffic will move seamlessly or quickly. So we we are going to be hugely frustrated. I think we're going to have to get used to the fact that if it's a hard break, that it's going to mean huge frustration. Mm. My big concern in that regard is actually for our drivers and our workforce, simply because they're not used to delays. People have learned to change their behaviour. Any kind of a delay is frustrating. It's particularly frustrating for our workforce because we're heavily regulated. So what we don't know is if a driver's hours run out, his driving time runs out and he happens to be at Marston Airport, well, can he stay there for his nine hours? Can he take his break there? Will there be facilities there? Hugely, there's a huge amount of questions have to be answered and there will be a huge level of frustration that goes with all this. It's there already. The uncertainty is causing it. Uh, for our own businesses, the sterling fluctuation is... Co- is uh, Obviously, it's causing us a problem all the time, but each time something sensational is announced, it just gets worse. Mm. And I think, you know, the fact that they're they're saying that Brexit uh, will weaken again uh, in the next month or so, you know, it's bad for Ireland. It's bad for Irish exporters. It's bad for everybody. So nothing about this is is, is uh, going to make progress for a while. I really do hope that on the 15th, Theresa May's mm. deal will will go ahead. I hope that the English sense will prevail, but look, as they say, common sense is not very common. 
Right, and this was what you would call a live rehearsal for an emergency traffic situation. I think the consensus is uh, that what happened at Kent yesterday was farcical, uh, a complete waste of time. I think the most complimentary thing I've heard said about it is, well, at least they tried to do something. Uh, But I suppose... Like a lot of these things, uh, there's going to be teething problems, uh, but this wasn't reflective at all of what might happen because, as you said, people knew it was happening and they took routes that perhaps they wouldn't have taken. Otherwise, uh, they were all predominantly English-speaking drivers. There was 89 trucks involved in this exercise on a route that is expected to take up to 6,000 trucks. And The Guardian is reporting that the challenge facing authorities there was evident at dawn, uh, which in itself is an important issue because this was at a time when there wasn't other cars on the road. But an argument broke out between marshals about where the trucks were supposed to go. And this is the point. I mean, this is something that's rehearsed. And 6,000 trucks is a very reserved estimate between Dover and Folkestone import and exports. There's over 5,000 trucks going each way. At any time in Britain, there's 1,000 Irish trucks on the road. Uh, I would say that that's what makes it farcical. I mean, Mm. you can't, if you're going to do a fire drill, you do it when a nightclub is full, not when you have the staff walking around. Yes, you can test sirens, but if you want it to be effective, you've got to have people prepared for what's actually going to happen. And this is not reflective of that situation. The weather was perfect. I mean, in inclement weather conditions, chaos would ensue even further. Mm. So it's just in no way reflective. And I do understand the point that, yes, they're doing something. But I have to be honest, it's so farcical that it's making it even more ill-prepared. I think the people involved will get a false sense of security in that, yeah, this is manageable. It's not manageable and they're going to find that out very soon if they don't make the right decision on the 15th of January. And it it did go relatively well in that it took about an hour for the lorries to make this 20-mile journey and there were no queues. But because there were so few lorries, uh, it doesn't really mean much. uh, To be honest... It's, it's a bit like having a tractor run or a truck run here. Mm. It was managed and yes, it went relatively well. There were, it went off without incident. But that is what, that's not what you're dealing with daily. Mm. By, by any stretch of the imagination, you will have drivers heading for the four corners of England that will no more want to go in this direction. And again, as I said, we don't know, is it for customs? Is it without customs? Is it transit? We have no information as to what their plan is for that particular. And the other thing is, mm. it, 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 it does not look like an infrastructure that's going to take very heavy traffic. And what we actually have is a dirt track it doesn't look like it's even prepared for HGV traffic. Right. Uh, and the same report in the Guardian newspaper highlights uh, the concerns of a, a politician in Calais, Xavier Bertrand, uh, who says a two-minute delay would lead to a 27,000-strong queue on both sides of the channel. Uh, would you agree with that estimate? Yes, I would, and you can see why if 10,000 trucks a day pass through Calais, through the both the Port Tunnel, or sorry, not the Port Tunnel, Folkestone Tunnel and Dover, it's easy for that amount of traffic to build up. And when I say to you that 29 miles of traffic builds up in the summer period and through the migrant crisis, they're well able to estimate it. And I can see that that is a, that is a figure that absolutely can be backed up. And that's why this, again, 
this trial is no reflection on what the reality will be whatsoever. Uh, and in a worst case scenario, because that estimate of 27,000 uh, trucks bumper to bumper on either side uh, of uh, the channel is based on a, a two minute uh, delay. Worst case scenario, uh, how long could those queues be? Well, those queues could last for days. I mean, it took mm. at least five days to clear that in the UK. There's a huge concern that surrounds that type of an issue, particularly in Calais, and that is the migrant activity. In ports such as Cannes, for instance, they've stopped the red-green traffic light system and it's continuously on amber, so that trucks no longer have to stop, and that's on the basis of migrants being able to enter your vehicle. If there was a 27,000 truck queue in Calais, I think Britain would have a bigger problem than they've ever had with migrant activity and particularly the hauliers. It's going to be a very unfortunate situation, something we will have no, we actually have no control over at the moment Mm -hmm. and it's never gotten any better and I think the onslaught of a hard Brexit or any type of Brexit is going to make that much worse and it's primary one of the reasons that Britain says they're leaving the EU but I can assure you Brexit's not going to do anything to remedy that situation. All right, and this day next week if the vote goes ahead it's expected that the withdrawal deal will be rejected by the House of Commons. If that's how it transpires what then? Uh, Well, I suppose my biggest hope is that we're wrong. (laughs) Uh, My gut feeling is, yeah, we're probably not wrong. I think the reality is that they'll have no choice but to extend Article 50, and that can be done readily. It's already intimated by the other 27 member states. I think it'll be at least the middle of this year, July, before you're going to see any real movement on where Brexit is at, whether it's going to be hard or whether there'll be an agreement, whether there'll be an election. I think you're at least going to get to the middle of this year. Verona Murphy is uh, the president of the Irish Road Hauliers Association and she was speaking to me before we came on air today. Michael Reed on LMFM. The family of 23-year-old Shane O'Farrell, who was killed while cycling home near Carrick Macross when he was struck by a driver in a hit-and-run in August 2011, met with the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris last week. Shane's mother, Lucia O'Farrell, joins us once again this morning to talk about their ongoing concerns. And a very good morning to you, Lucia, and thanks for your time as always. This was the first opportunity opportunity to speak with Drew Harris since he assumed this role. What can you tell us? Well, thank you, Michael. Um, we met, We first of all, I hadn't sought a meeting with uh, Drew Harris's, the Commissioner Harris's two predecessors, Commissioner Noreen O'Sullivan or uh, Commissioner Callanan, but I thought I would write and request a meeting and uh, he facilitated that meeting and I, I think that shows the seriousness of this case. Um, he listened uh, to our concerns and uh, he, he was constrained in what he could say, Michael, at this mm. point because of the ongoing GSOC in get investigation. But we were 90 minutes with him, and I think that in itself is an indication of the seriousness of this case. But uh, he was said he would come back and he would meet with us again. Right, well, uh, a 90-minute meeting gave you a, a lot of time uh, to outline your concerns uh, to the Commissioner and the concerns that you have straddle the border north and south uh, to some degree, uh, which is interesting given his history as well, I take it. 
Uh, that's right, and as your listeners will be aware, uh, while this man was in multiple breaches of bail, he reoffended in Northern Ireland two weeks before he killed with three consecutive days of theft. Well, sorry, with three consecutive thefts on the one day, and the Gardaí were notified by the PSNI and uh, to confirm his southern address and to get a list of his criminal history. And uh, uh, therefore, he should they should have sought mutual assistance and returned him to Judge O'Hagan and Monaghan Circle Court, but that didn't happen. Now, on the 12th of June, you will, there was a, a political question asked by Declan Brannock and Micheál Martin regarding the uh, sharing of information between Angarda Shikorna, the courts and the PSNI in relation to our case. And the reply from Minister Flanagan, actually it's, it's up uh, on the website if people want to look at a question number 483, 487, 488 and 543 on the 12th of June. And it said, the reply from Minister Flanagan is, the deputy should be aware that it is the role of the prosecuting authority to bring to the attention of the courts any convictions, bail or court orders of which the court needs to be aware prior to reaching the decision on the case before the court. Now, in our case, that didn't happen. The judges weren't being made aware that this man, Zygamantis Goduska, was in multiple breaches of bail and, and would have been in custody at the time he killed Shane. Now, GSOC haven't answered the questions and they've already, it's already apparent that they can't deliver what our family want. Mm. Uh, we've been seeking a, a definitive account of the full facts surrounding Shane's death in a hit and run by a driver who would have been and should have been in state custody had, had the guards done their duty. And it, it, on several occasions, looking back on it, I can see where, where the man had three thefts, three offences brought to the court. The court wasn't told that he was on bail for all of those offences. And, and under, I see a, a, an article here by Ivana Batchuk, who's a, a criminal lawyer and senior, senior counsel and lecturer in Trinity. Mm. In an article she's written, she said, for example, a 1984 law provides that if a person commits a crime while out on bail for another offence, the sentence for each of these offences must be cons- consecutive. So if a judge isn't aware that a person's on bail, he might he might give six months, six months, and six months to run concurrently, mm. not not consecutively. So uh, there's no point saying you know uh, we need new laws, we need new legislation. As Willie O'Dea said on the 30th of May in Dollar, and he said, we will have a lot of extra laws, but but in this case we are talking about enforcement, and and really that's the bottom line. The laws that are presently there were not enforced. And, and min, min, sorry, Minister Flanagan really, you know, he's in, in charge of justice throughout the country. He is Minister for Justice and, and he's a very serious portfolio and this is a very serious case because it spans not just in Gardaí O'Connor, it's it spans all of the criminal justice system. And he should be looking at this and he should be treating it as a serious uh, case and, uh, accordingly. And there's been complete inertia by Minister Flanagan. That's the only words to use. You know, he's saying this is with GSOC or oh, sympathies to the family. We are sick of hearing that. We are, we, we, it, it, that does not hold for us. We don't want his words of sympathy. We want action. And his duty is to act. He sees a wrong and, and he's kicking the can down the road. And there is no basis in law for him not to respect the vote of the doll and, and commence the public inquiry. That's been voted on a two to one vote for a public inquiry. 
Okay, and uh, this man, Zygmantas Grazuska, was a uh, Romanian national. Uh, he was Lithuanian. Uh, oh, Lithuanian, beg your pardon. Yes. Uh, uh, and he uh, fled the scene uh, of the accident after killing your son, uh, 23-year-old Shane O'Farrell, uh, who had everything going from him and, and, and everything ahead of him in life. That was denied to him. Uh, when he did hand himself in, uh, he eventually appeared in court. This evidence wasn't given, uh, but he received an eight-month sentence. That sentence was suspended on the basis that he would leave the country. I, I think he returned to Lithuania, but the last time you spoke to us, uh, you said you didn't know of his whereabouts. Well, there should be a grave concern by the people of Ireland for a start is that 90% of people who are removed from Ireland and served with the removal order return under a different date of birth. So I think it's in everyone's best interest to know where this individual is. Secondly, his uh, license has expired in Lithuania. And initially, he re- when he returned, he renewed his license. They revoked it and it has expired. And he cannot apply for a license anywhere across Europe. And do you think, Michael, for one second, he's not driving around? Do you think for one second? So this man, you know, abuses heroin and alcohol. He, he, he has killed and there's been no consequence of deterrent. So it, there's nothing to stop him doing it again. Right, uh, and that's why you've been uh, calling uh, for this uh, public uh, inquiry. Uh, you believe uh, that it can happen, uh, but you believe that it's a lack of political will. Uh, the statements you made about uh, the Minister for Justice kicking it uh, down the road uh, are, are, are very strong statements. Uh, do, but do you believe uh, that his intentions are, are not what they should be? And if so, why is that the case? Well, Minister for Justice, so he has the responsibility. And, and as I said, I think I mentioned it the last time, in September there was an article written by Michael Clifford mm. and it states, uh, in, in regarding the failures to Shane, and it states towards the end of the article, and I'll just read it from the article, it said, in 2014 the Oireachtas set up the O'Higgins Commission of Investigation into complaints of malpractice made by Sergeant Morris McCabe. At the time, they were outstanding disciplinary actions against at least one member in relation to one of the cases to be examined by O'Higgins. The Commission went ahead regardless, and there was nothing controversial about doing so. To use an outstanding disciplinary matter as an excuse not to proceed is little short of insulting to the O'Farrell family. Now, so to say that that he can't because it's with GSOC, is, there's no basis in law for that. So, you know, Minister Flanagan is responsible for law and order in the mm. country. And he seems to have forgotten what his department are supposed to do, truth and justice. And he seems to, to, to have forgotten the people that he's there to serve, which is our family and Shane. Now, there's been ongoing inertia by Fine Gael and Minister Flanagan regarding this case. But is it that you think... Justice is being denied because the truth is too hard. Oh, it's, it's catastrophic, the failures in this case. Yes. It, it beyond it, it, the, the Gardaí into the courts and how the, the, the case was prosecuted in court. Because we, our, your listeners would, would please note that this man was, was given a choice, eight months or 21 mm. days to leave the country, and he chose to go. He bought a one-way ticket to comply with the order in the Criminal Courts of Justice, but he couldn't leave for three months. 
So this man did not leave when he was ordered to, despite him buying a ticket to return home. And your listeners might say, well, that doesn't make sense. Mm. He couldn't because the, the truth was withheld from the criminal courts of justice. When the judge asked, was there anything pending for this man? Was there anything coming up in the pipeline for him? He wasn't told by the guardie that there was a file on insurance fraud. Now, the guard who prepared the file was sitting in court. The prosecuting barrister and solicitor were aware of that. I have correspondence from the prosecuting solicitor where she states definitively she was aware and, and the prosecuting barrister was sitting in at the pre-trial meeting where this was brought up. So mm. it's, it's very embarrassing for the government but, but Minister Flanagan, it, it, it's not about putting loyalty over honesty. His duty, his duty mm. is, to, is to Shane. But, and, and but when you say it's embarrassing for the government, Lucia, do you mean that it is embarrassing but less embarrassing than how it would be if an inquiry was to take place because when you say that justice is being denied because the truth is too hard to take well then that sort of indicates that there's a cover-up underway oh, there, uh, without question i mean this is this is a, you you must remember a about it was a year and a half, two years ago, uh, there was an in, following um, the Gearan report and complaints about Angardishikon allegations. Uh, Minister Fitzgerald set up an independent review mechanism to look at 300 cases, 320 cases uh, of allegations about Angardishikon from across the country. Now, we were told our case was the most serious. Naturally, some of the cases were about a poor investigation following a death. Our, our child is dead because of failure by Angarda Shikona, plus a poor investigation following his death and deception in the court. Now, we were told our case was the most serious. For 18 months, up to 18 months prior to that independent review mechanism ever being thought of, we had, I had written personally to Minister uh, uh, um, Francis Fitzgerald and to the Attorney General outlining the irregularities that occurred in the court. And I got replies from that, as well as acknowledge receipt of your letter. The minister has, has read your letter. The attorney general has read your letter. Despite that, 18, almost 18 months later, we have the Minister for Justice and the attorney general appointing the senior, two senior counsels to oversee the 320 cases. And one of those senior counsels defended Zygmantis Gudutska in, uh, in the Criminal Courts of Justice. Now, Michael, if you were one of the five junior counsels and you opened the file of Shane O'Farrell and the complaints made by, by uh, Lucy O'Farrell and her family, your position could be compromised because the person overseeing your work defended this man. So it, was, it wasn't as if they didn't know. I had written and registered letters to them informing them of who defended the senior counsel. My, his name was in my correspondence. So this case is particularly dirty. But the errors and failings leading to Shane's death, Michael, are such that they undermine public confidence in the government and the administration of justice. It's to such an extent that the only way to restore public confidence is for a, pub, a full public inquiry so the full facts can be, can, be, can be established, the failings addressed, action taken, people held to account and to ensure that lessons are learnt from Shane's de death and it doesn't happen again. Of course there's a cover-up in this. I mean, we see Sergeant Morris McCabe was 12 years, 12 years. We are now into our eighth year. Is that, is that a justice system that's working? 
Lucia, it goes without saying that you'll never forget Shane, uh, but I think it's equally true to say that you won't allow the rest of us uh, to forget him either as you seek justice in terms of why his death happened when it could have been preventable if this man hadn't been on the streets or indeed the investigation into it all. But uh, we'll leave there for the moment and thank you as always for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Lucia O'Farrell, mother of uh, Shane O'Farrell, who was killed in that hit and run in August of 2011. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Station joins us for the report this week and we begin in Tully Allen where Garda are investigating a burglary. That's right. Good morning, Michael. In the early hours of Sunday last, that's the 6th of January, between 12.30am and 4am, a home in Glen Allen in Tully Allen was broken into and the homeowner woke to find the back door of her home wide open and there was a purse and keys taken and a vehicle then subsequently taken. And this was a black Jaguar XF saloon with a 12MH registration. So we're appealing to any listeners this morning who may have been in the Tully Allen area in the early hours of Sunday morning. Perhaps they saw something unusual or maybe they saw the car in question. Again, it was a black Jaguar XF Saloon 12MH to contact Drogheda Garda Station. And just to remind people to be careful with doors and windows and always make sure they're locked and to check all doors before going to bed and when leaving the house and to always set your alarm. Absolutely, and we hope that it, it never happens to any of us. Uh, but unfortunately, we've a number of burglaries to report on in the report this week, which is not unusual. Another crime which is commonplace is items being stolen from cars. And there's a, a number of these incidents to report on this week as well. That's right, yeah. On Saturday the 5th at various locations, namely the Hill of Tara, Newtown and Trim and Bective, three cars were broken into. And these incidents all happened between 12.30 and 3pm as I said on Saturday last, the 5th of January. And these are all popular locations where people park their cars and go walking, uh, which is what happened here in these incidents. So uh, there were valuables and cash, cash taken. And if any listeners were out and about at any of these locations and saw anything that may have been suspicious or unusual, to contact the Gardaí at Trim or Navangarda stations. And also I just want to take this opportunity to advise listeners to never leave any valuables or money in an unoccupied car. And if you are leaving your car to go to go for a walk, don't bring anything of value with you as there are, are opportunists out there who will take advantage of these situations. All right, uh, we'll go to Julianstown for the next report. It's of another burglary. Yeah, between the hours of 6am and 7am on Sunday morning, the 6th of January, a home in Limekiln in Julianstown was broken into where cash and a laptop were taken. And the Guardian in Laytown would appreciate any help with this if anyone listening recalls seeing anything in the Limekillen area in Julianstown on Sunday morning last between 6 and 7am. There was a black Hewlett-Packard computer taken. And just to remind people to be mindful of goods for sale or being offered for sale which are below value price and just to be aware where they may have come from. And again, as I previously have said, make sure windows and doors are locked and alarms set correctly. Okay, uh, we've a a stolen car now, uh, which you'd like to return to its rightful owner, who is in Enfield. That's right. In the early hours of Friday, the 4th of January, uh, between 1am and 4am, there was a black Mercedes C-Series saloon, registration 132D, taken from the Glen Owen Green estate in Enfield, County Meath. And similar to a previous incident I mentioned here today, the keys were taken from inside the house and subsequently the car was stolen. 
Now it's important to reiterate the importance of locking doors and windows at night and not leaving any keys visible or accessible from any doors. And there were a number of items also taken during this incident. A black Lenovo computer, a Google HP Chromebook and various children's toys. And the Guardian Enfield are investigating here and would like to hear from anybody who may have information about this incident. All right, and uh, again, somewhat commonplace. Uh, they may break into your house uh, and it's not just what's inside your house, but it's what's parked in the driveway, which uh, right. may go as a result. We'll conclude this week with a burglary and uh, the last of our reports, a break-in in Athboy. That's right. Again on Friday the 4th, between 7 and 7.30pm at the Glanbia premises in Athboy, at a shed behind the, the rear of the premises uh, was broken into and two Honda power washers were taken. Now the CCTV shows a Hyundai Santa Fe, the old model, and three males were involved in this incident. And the Gardaí have no further description of these men and they would appreciate any help in identifying them. And any information to the Guardian that boy regarding this incident would be greatly appreciated. Again it occurred last Friday the 4th of January between 7 and 7.30pm. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navan Garda Station, thank you indeed. And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Before we leave you today, let's go back uh, to you and some more of the comments that have been coming to us this morning. Marie is back uh, and you've had a, a number of people in touch. Uh, yes. You were saying actually, I think you had too many comments for the time that we allowed last time round. That's right. We've lots more, Michael. Uh, Tony from County Louth contacted us to say, surely it should be accepted that a protest at the place where the action is being carried out is the only place relevant to focus the protest. To remove the right of any protest sets us on a course similar to China or Egypt, which is a dangerous road to go down. If protests on this matter can be banned, what would be next that might not suit the government of the day? Okay, well, we have to say uh, that as things stand, nobody has done anything wrong or illegal. The talk is of introducing legislation which would ban these protests outside of such facilities. Ben from Drogheda phoned in regarding the abortion item you had. I'd like to say that I support a peaceful protest and the reason I do is because I watched a film on the net on abortion which I made a difference to me and I'd urge people before they would make judgment of people protesting to look at this film and get an idea of what exactly happens in an abortion. Ella from Drogheda says I'm listening to all of those who are against abortion and I'm wondering are we living in medieval ages or in handmade tales reality when so-called moral people chose to see only their only good way. Mm. Michael, there were no protests when Michael Neary was operating on young, healthy women and preventing their chances of having healthy babies. Hypocrisy. Well, there were protests. I mean, this is one of the things that we were talking about. There were protests uh, when he he was suspended. uh, Protests to have him reinstated. That's right. Mm. Claire in Candy Mead says, why can't these women mind themselves and not get pregnant with pills and condoms and morning after pills that are available? And if they do get pregnant, hundreds of people can't get pregnant, carry it for nine months and give it to people who would love them. All right, well, I wouldn't be judging uh, in that sense myself. Susan via Facebook, are these protesters like Monty Pipe? Then the Spanish Inquisition, will they suddenly appear at any hospital or are their black souls tied to Drogheda?
Mm. Peacefully protesting against Brexit, water charges, homelessness, etc. is one thing, says a listener via Twitter. Quite another to protest vulnerable people's personal decisions and health care. Sheer intimidation. It's nobody it's nobody's business but the person involved. Okay, one more. Emma says this shouldn't be alleged if an abortion is happening in a hospital. It's probably because of fetal fatal case or danger to the woman's life they are causing more distress than necessary Alright well Emma gets the final word because our time has run out of us and uh, thanks Marie and everybody who has been in touch with us for that matter now as I say that's where we have to leave you uh, but uh, our thanks to Marie Kearns for producing Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Marie in the Control Tower I'm Michael and God willing you'll join us for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM Good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.